Get ready, golf lovers. The boys are teed up and ready to go. Backspin with Larry Canning and Steve Anderson. Thanks to Inside Golf. Hello and welcome to Backspin, brought to you by the good people at Inside Golf magazine. Steve Anderson isn't with me today. My name is Larry Canning. Gary Barter is in Steve's place, sitting right next to me. G'day, Gaz. Thank you for being on the show. Good to be here, Larry. It's a big show, Gaz. We've got Richie Smith, Hannah Green's coach. Hannah Green has just won the TPS Murray River Tournament. It's a co-gender event, which basically means boys and girls playing in the same tournament for the same person. Hannah Green won and has created history by yeah, doing first so. school ever. So we're talking to Richie Smith, Hannah's coach. I had an amazing experience, guys, and I, all, I, I use that term a lot, I know, but this was truly amazing. I tried the new Cleveland XL driver, just come out. I tried it on a simulator machine with a golf technician. So I got numbers and figures and stuff. I was hitting this thing 20 yards further, in fact, 20 metres further than the driver I was using. That sounds like a crock, I know, but mm. it's true. And to prove it's true, guys, I've got the very guy, Con, our club fitting technician at Mount Broughton Golf Club, on the line soon. And we'll be talking to Con and he'll be validating. And everyone says it, don't they? I got 20 yards further with that mm. ball or that club. I actually got yeah. 20 metres more. So we'll be talking to Con. We'll be talking about your trip to Hawaii watching Matthew Jones, your star pupil, shoot 32 under par and the champions golf course in Hawaii, Wailai. Amazing. Um, and finishing third, of all things. You would think that 32 is going to pretty well get it done. But 33 was second. John Rahm, Cam Smith won that event. You saw it all un- unravel in front yep. of your eyes. Yep. We'll be talking about that. You've got a tip, Gary, about grip pressure. And I find that we talked about this briefly the other day, and it's fascinating. It's a really big part. It is a big part. And the way you described it to me back then was, you know, it's not it's, it's certain parts of the golf swing when you grip tightens. And I hadn't actually considered that. So I'm looking well, something for something you've learned. I thought you would have learned everything by now. 30 metres, I would have got out of that driver if I'd have known that. Well, maybe more. Our spit of the week, we're talking about that ridiculous, ludicrous golf hole called the Stadium Hole at TPC. Yeah, the party hole. Phoenix Open, the waste management, which I think used to be called the Rubbish Dump Championship, wasn't it? So we're talking about that. Um, you've got a view. I've got a strong view on it. Um, I've actually written a piece in the magazine about it. But anyway, we'll, we'll get to the bottom of our opinions on that. All that and more right after this break. Backspin with Larry Canning and Steve Anderson. Well, an interesting week just had, Gary. We've had history made by Hannah Green being the first woman to win a golf tournament that has men and women playing for the same purse. We've also seen Adam Scott playing well again in America. He played well in UAE recently, a couple of tournaments on the European Tour he played in, finishing the top 10 twice. We've seen snippets of how good he's starting to play again. Putter changes. How many changes has Adam Scott made to his putting? Off the top of your head, would it be like 140 or... Oh, mate. He's always fiddling. Yeah, people forget, probably in 2004, five, when a younger guy won the Players' Championship, he putted with a short putter, but he probably in the top five in putting that year in the stats. So it's not like he can't putt, but as the years have gone by, he's he's tried everything, claw, arm lock putters, long putters. You know, he looks uncomfortable. Like, it, it looks like he, sometimes it looks like, you know, you're trying to get leaves out of a drain. You know what I mean? You, like, you, you, like you, you're sort of standing there, but all I know is that he puts a lot of work in away from the course he's seen as one of these natural guys and you know he's a he's a very talented player but i can i can tell you he's really thinks a lot about golf he's very dedicated especially off the course when he's back home he'd be always fiddling he's always looking at the latest technology but he does change a lot if i got to the state six or seven times a year it'd be rare if i saw adam to be 
with a similar putter. The putting the same way with the same yeah. putter, well, you, yeah. wouldn't, you wouldn't see it. Yeah, he, he's just a he's just a, a, a classic sort of tinkerer, but he loves Riviera. Yes, he loves Riviera. Yes. I think he was one of the reasons. I think it was um, Keegan Bradley and Webb Simpson and Adam Scott, probably the three guys that created that furor about anchored putting and the, and the RNA and the USGA finished up banning it. I think those three winning majors was the reason why. So Yeah, look, look as you know, back in the day, you and I were looking at Sam Torrance. We were looking at those players that would putt with Peter Senior. Yeah, but Peter Senior had it under his chin. He yeah. looked, looked at it in his oh, mouth nearly. Incredible. <laughs> Bernard, Bernard Langer, obviously, off the, off the chest. Radar. Won yeah, the Australian, Australian Open at Royal Open. Melbourne. That's right. Hold the 80-footer on the last. And I, look, I've, tri- I've tried it. Uh, and it, to me, yeah, I, I, I don't get it. But what I do know, whether it's VJ or any of those players that were successful with that longer putter, they were pretty good putters anyway before that. Yeah. It, it wasn't yeah. like they were terrible putters and then they went to that and then become great putters. They mm. sort of could putt anyway. I do agree with you. There was definitely a shift and there was a point where that locking to the body is the one that was banned. Then the arm lock. I, I think the arm lock will go. Oh, yeah, Matt, it's going to go, isn't it? I, Matt and I were looking at Bryson in Hawaii and we're looking at him putt and it looks amazing. It looks like it looks like a machine, like the way he's got it down with the arm lock, with the shaft being very vertical. It's almost like obviously illegal to have a, a 90 degree angle, like straight up and straight down. I think Sam Sneed was side saddled mm-hmm. back in the day. So there's been a long pursuit of these players trying to get better. The difference with guys like Sneed and Langer, and I think Sam Torrance to a degree, was they had the yips, didn't they? Well, whatever their version of the yips Adam was. Adam Scott never had the yips. No, whatever their version of the yips, because the, the yips... Geez, that's a subject for another show, isn't it? The the yips. Yeah, because... Dedicate cause a, an entire show. Yeah, a lot of people make a comment, I've got the yips, I've got the yips, I can't get it yeah, in. But yeah. the reality is... When you actually see someone with the proper yips, they've got no physical control. It is hideous, isn't it? Yeah, they, they literally, you can, see their, you can see their hands, their wrists. Oh, you can hear things moving. Yeah, they... they I mean, the, the sphincter, <laughs> the anus. Is, or that maybe that's mine. It's clenching while they're putting it. Well, there, there's, there's actually a new, neurological term for it. It's called focal dystonia, where, you, where your brain... <laughs> Did you say bra- focal dystonia? No, focal oh, dystonia. Focal. Oh, it, it, it's, it's actually where your brain doesn't send the message to your arms to make a movement. So it's like they they literally take the club back and they're trying to make an action at the ball and they don't have any physical control over Gary, what they're doing. I'm getting the Ips just sitting here listening to that conversation. Let's let's leave that for another day. <laughs> let's talk about Matt Jones, your star pupil, mm-hmm. and let's talk about Hawaii. You just mentioned you were there. Watch that incredible scoring at Wailai. It was amazing. Like, it was an amazing week. 34 like, under par. Cam Smith wins, just, for, just to remind the listeners. Cam Smith, 34 under, wins by only one stroke. From John Rahm, 33 under. Matt Jones, 32 under. The unluckiest third place getter in the history of the game to be 32 under and come third. Yeah. Rounds of 62, 61 on the weekend. Tell us your experience, Gaz, because you were there watching every shot. Well, it was amazing. So he, he, he's nine under par after the first two rounds. Barely made the cut. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, well, lucky there's no cut there. <laughs> of course. Sorry. <laughs> then 23 under on top of that and to not get it done. Like it's, it's a, like Cam Smith, that level of golf was incredible. I was just, I was just so more humbled really to be there and watch Matt do that on the weekend because I think what I took out of it was that no player in the history of the game has played at that level on the final 36 holes. So mm-hmm. when you look at the game, as long as it's been played, you can talk about Tiger, Jack, Arnie, Hogan, no one has, has shot that number. So mm-hmm. for me, a kid, a kid coming from Oyster Bay to go and do that, for me, it was just amazing. And, and to be there to see it was incredible. It what was, was the feeling? When, when, when you get that many under, 
61 on Sunday. So you, you, you're thinking 59, aren't you, surely? Because it hasn't been shot that many times. Uh, well, Matt- and 59 on a past 73 golf course. That's Were you thinking that? Was he thinking that? Well, the thing with the thing I've noticed with Matt over the years is that he'll finish around a golf, and I'll go, um, "Yeah, that was that was a great round. Like you shot six under whatever." He goes, "I oh, do. I finished six. He literally, obviously, gets to a place, and I think you'd have to be there to be shooting those numbers and to not like most of us. You know, we're three under par, whatever we are. We think, "Gee, I hope I hope I can hang on," or "Gee, there's a par five coming up, and maybe <laughs> if I get past that." Or, but Matt gets to a place mentally that the environment was pulling him along. So he, he wasn't thinking, I'm eight under for the round or nine under for the round. He's thinking, I'm three behind camp. Yeah, okay. I've got, got a par five coming up. I think the environment pulled those three guys along and and they really separated themselves from the fourth place. Mm. And to the someone at home, and, and it, it would be only natural and it would be the same as me, I'd be thinking, well, it must be an easy golf course. Mm, yeah, exactly. It, it, it must be an easy golf course. And I can tell you that those guys made it more playable because they hit the ball so far. And also, the, the, the wind never got more than 10 miles an hour mm, for the 72 mm. holes, which is quite rare at that course. But in the practice round, Matt always sort of grabs me and goes, oh, you're hitting a shot here. You're going to hit a shot here. And it might be to, just to, a, to you. Yeah, like it'll be a, always a par three. So it's like he'll call it a caddy hole. So he'll go, okay, we're going to hit a shot here. And whoever's closest to the pin gets sort of 10 bucks off the other two yep, guys. Yep. I'm sort of there, got off the plane, trudging around Hawaii. Like it's like, it's like, it's like going on a mountain climb. It's, Hawaii does sound like a very nice trudge. I'll tell you, it's the hardest course to walk. Oh, is it? Really? Oh, my goodness. Tee to green, most times in that front nine, is like about a 100-metre walk. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So it's, a, it's a definitely a cart course. And it's your awesome age. course. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, I was, I was feeling it this time. So, so sorry, back to... So, so, so yeah, so basically, yeah, we get on the eighth hole and, come on, you're hitting a shot, you're hitting a shot. No, Matt, I don't want to hit a shot, honestly. No, 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 you're hitting a shot. So he hits a six iron. Are you at seven? I at four. <laughs> and sort of thin on the front of the green. And I was pretty happy with that. Yep. And he goes, oh, hit another one, hit another one. I said, Matt, I'm not hitting another one. And he said, you know what the sad thing about this is? I said, what's it? He said, Bryson would be hitting an eight iron off this hole. I said, but Matt, there's no way. This is 210 yards, this hole. There's no way he'd be hitting an eight iron. So as it turned out, Bryson draws Matt in the third round. And Matt hits a six iron again off the same hole. And Bryson is a nine iron. Oh, really? So I sort of saw with my own eyes. I, I thought to myself, they're, they're definitely playing a game that, that I'm not familiar with. We're, we're talking about Matt Jones, who is, I wouldn't say a short hitter. He's, he'd be... Matt's always in about the top 40 in length. Wow. Yeah, so Matt... That's 100 200 players, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, so in, the, in, in, in that round of golf... He's uh, one of the longer hitters, and he's, he's three clubs behind Bryson DeChambeau. On yeah, a but three. Bryson's 9-iron is the length of a 6-iron. Oh, of course, yes. It is the loft of an 8-iron. You know what? It doesn't make you feel better. Mm. <laughs> yeah, honestly, honestly, I just, I just was like drinking through a straw. I, I couldn't even watch Matt play the ninth or tenth hole after that. I just sort of went and got a drink. <laughs> you went fetal. Yeah, yeah. So, 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 and you've, and you've been watching this stuff for your whole life. But it's you? shifted gear. It's shifted gear. Yeah, There's okay. no doubt about it. They're, they're, they're a lot longer. And, and to put it in perspective, and I've, I videoed it to show people because unless you, unless you see it, you don't get it. When Bryson played with Matt in the third round on the seventh hole, Matt hit a nice drive, like nutted a drive, and I counted Bryson was 62 paces past God, him. God, so so that is that much different. Yeah, it was, it's, it's obscene how far the guy hits the golf ball. Is he going to keep that level of energy up? How long is his body going to last? He's out now with a sore wrist. Maybe there's going to be payday for that mm, at some point. Mm, mm. So, 
It's bringing people to the game, isn't it? It's it's it's, it's growing. It's definitely growing the game. It's Love him, the game. hate him, whatever you want to say about him. He's definitely bringing the. You know what? My it. experience with him, and I've, I've known him. I, I could say I know him reasonably well. He he came out as an amateur to play. I think it was the two thousand and fifteen Australian Open. Oh, was, yeah, Australian Australian Masters. And he was at the Aussie. Oh, and one sorry, of, I'm one sorry. Of, one of our nice members, Doctor Ken House, and was happy for Bryson to stay at his house. So Bryson and, and I and Ken time to meet with him talk with him so I've, I've known Bryson quite well and whenever I talk to him he's he's a very considered sort of articulate very sort of polite guy he cops a bit you know cops a lot yeah he cops a bit but I think he's he's just got that very confident approach and that can be off-putting so as a person you, you'd back him good bloke mate I gotta does he, tell does he you fit into a good bloke Aussie good bloke you know what in in in, my, in, in we can only treat people how we we know them mm. ourselves and in in my in my time with him, over many conversations, and he's he's the sort of guy that will not only talk to you, he'll sort of introduce himself to whoever you're with. It could be, it could be the lady who's, you know, working at the hotel or whatever. You know what I mean? Mm. She just might happen to be standing next to you. Yep. So it's it's like he's a he's, he seems he seems very good to me. He's very good to Matt. Yeah. So speaking of polite, Gary Hannah Green appears to be one of the most polite, nicest kids. On the planet, she's just made history. She's just won a multi-sexual, shall we call it, unisexual, men and women playing for the same purse tournament. It's never been done in the world. A woman has never done this, and she has now. Your view, your opinion on 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 Hannah? I don't know whether you know Hannah Green that well, but definitely her golf swing. I'm very interested in what you've got to say about that and how suddenly she's sprung another thirty meters out of a out of a driver. Yeah, look, she looks like a great person. I, I noticed I was watching the coverage. And even walking off before signing the card, a couple of volunteers wanted a photo with her, and she was happy to do that. That wouldn't be common. Mm. So she seems a really nice person. She's very humble. I've, I've seen her interviews. Her golf swing looks very good to me. I haven't sort of broken it down and analysed it, but just from just a visual aesthetic point of view, it's very dynamic, very technically correct. Like, it's a credit to, obviously, her coach, Richie Smith, and their team. Her temperament. And I did notice that, like all great players, there were points in that round where you had to take command. And even though we can say, oh, you know, Hannah chipped in on 10 and then Hannah birdied 11, Andrew Evans was tied with her after playing eight holes and she stepped up a gear, which is what champions do. They find that point in a round where they can take control. A lot of people think you win a golf tournament on the 17th or 18th hole. And she took hold of that tournament early in the back nine. Mm. That's the things that I would take away. She putted very well under pressure. Now, putting, it goes beyond your technical component or your ability to read a green. There's a, there's a will and a desire at a point where you just got to make a putt. And she seems to have that, which is why she's 30 in the world. With a bullet though, isn't she? Yeah. Like there's, there's noted about it. And I, you mentioned about her length gain. And I think you and I spoke before about her distance gain. And that's something that we can talk to Richie about. Mm. There's no doubt about it. Her swing looks very safe to me. She'd be like a blue chip stock. You know, she'd be <laughs> someone you could invest in and just put the money in, go home, you know, get your dividend and not even worry. You know, I'm looking at Matt today at Riviera and I can't even go out and get a cup of tea and relax. 
it, it's like it's like bogey bogey birdie birdie eagle bogey bogey so hannah you could you could bank on her thanks to inside golf this is backspin with larry canning and steve anderson gary uh, as i mentioned in the intro i had this unbelievable experience with the cleveland xl launcher driver it's not the most expensive driver you can get it's not the cheapest it's sort of in between it's like a cobra sort of price point around five hundred dollars i think i was sort of wasn't expecting what i saw but with the expensive driver i have i won't say the brand because it, i don't want to it's there's, there's nothing wrong with the driver it just wasn't obviously fitted to me i picked this one up and the, the numbers were extraordinary the numbers i'm referring to were taken on a flight scope machine at mount broughton golf club we now have a uh, customised fitting centre there and Con Fondus is our is our technician our teaching pro and, and club technician Con's actually on the phone as we speak because the distance I was hitting this driver I need to make sure that people believe me because mm. it sounds like crock of shit how far I was hitting this thing at my age so Con is on the line G'day Con How are you Larry? Good mate thank you for coming on and thank you for validating just how talented I am basically I think isn't it? <laughs> so the Cleveland Launcher XL Con um, the machine we were using just briefly tell us about it the flight's Scope, I think you said it was. Yes, using a five scope Mevo Plus with Pro package, doing the test against your other driver with the new Cleveland XL. A lot better numbers, really. Pick you up around about twenty meters in uh, carry distance, which is a big gain. The numbers, you, the numbers you talk about, just briefly, because it is very technical. But there's launch angle, spin rate. Uh, tell us what was giving me this extra yardage. Why I was getting it. In my opinion, I think the length of the club definitely helps because your your club head speed increased over roughly about two mile an hour. I would say maybe three compared to your shorter driver. Your ball speed was up due to that because you divide your ball speed by club head speed to get a smash factor, which is your centre of strike, meaning you're hitting the, the centre more often. Mm. We're looking at your launch, your launch angle. Again, was up a little. With the Cleveland, spin rates were a little high. I'm not convinced that those spin rates were quite correct because we are hitting out on the range. We all saw the ball flight. It didn't seem to be spinning uh, those numbers. Okay, so so there's an element there, even though you've got all that technology there, Con, there's an element of just looking at the ball flying through the air as opposed to smashing it into a into a uh, screen a simulator. 100%. Yep. Uh, 100%. Yeah, you can, while these machines are, are very, very good, they're not 100%. Not yet, anyway. So, you know, watching you hit those shots, they were not spinning at the, the RPM that I'm looking at here. They were, they were definitely lower. When you talk about the length of the club, 46 yeah. inches was the length of that, that driver. The so, one I had was 45 and a half. It's only half an inch. It's only half an inch, but longer club, wider arc, a little bit more club head. Speed. Yeah, but you've got to get it out of the centre, don't you? So, Dawson? Con, what, did, what was Larry's smash factor with the Cleveland? Average at 1.45, his best was... 1.49 at a 98 mile an hour swing speed. The faster he swung it, uh, it dropped a little bit, so his center strike was not quite not quite out of the middle. Would that club still show pretty decent numbers on a slight off-centre hit? Yeah, it is quite a forgiving driver. Which is what we need at club level, really, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. This driver, and, I, and we've done more testing with various players in the last few weeks, and the off-centre hit going a very long way, but they're actually going a hell of a lot straighter than some more premium drivers that like, we're, we're testing against. Was Larry launching that on a, a little higher launch, that particular driver, or was he was it similar launch? Out of three hits there, he was launching it around about 10 degrees compared to, well, they're, they're, they're basically at the same as yep. his 
um, previous driver, or the current driver. But with that similar launch and, and carrying a bit more ball speed, clearly that's helping him get that extra 20 metres. Yes. See, look, 20 metres. It's pretty. It's a pretty big game. It was, like, it was, that's, it, two, that's two clubs, you know. That's two clubs. That's extraordinary. So if you're, if you're you know, put in perspective, you're playing a par four and you're hitting a driver six iron normally, now you're hitting driver eight iron. Oh, well, it's a par and, five now for me. But look, I I think too that you can find that great driver for yourself. Like you'll see back in the day, Colin Montgomery had a a Callaway driver. It was a limited edition Jim Dent and they made a thousand of them in the world. And and Cole, he loved that driver and then he broke that driver and then then he got another one. And then then when he wanted to get another one, I think the face caved in, they they didn't have one for him and they were advertising around anyone that wanted to sell one that had one. Oh, is that right? So you can get a driver that you just love. And probably Larry, that algorithm of launch, spin, angle of attacks, all all those all those conditions that come together. That that Cleveland for Larry, you guys have found a sweet spot. Obviously, it was a bit of a fluke con, wasn't it? Because it was it was a stock standard shaft. It was just Correct. we didn't we didn't change we didn't have to change the shaft at all. Just I just picked this no. up and it just went twenty meters further. We could have been there for three hours and got nowhere, and maybe not even improved on what I had, and, and put ten different shafts in this thing. Bang! First shaft, first hit. Off it went. It was it was insane. That's never happened to me. I'm back on the tour. Well, with those numbers there, you you actually you, I'm, I'm you can competitive again. Like like Chuck uh, about two weeks ago, and I spent some time with him, Peter Fowler. And you know, Peter's a very fit, probably six foot three, yeah, very strong sort of senior golfer. And they were very similar numbers to what that's crazy he was getting. So you're back in the game, Larry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Majors. <laughs> the invitations going out to the Masters, haven't they? They've already gone out this I, year. I'm not sure if you'll get a start. You could look at next year's, maybe. You're not. Yeah, I'm not sure. Con, you are at Mount Broughton Golf and Country Club, as we know. You're our technician there. Anyone who's interested in coming and seeing Con, please give us a call in the pro shop at Mount Broughton. Happens to be my home club as well. This sounds like a massive promo for my own club and, and my and my mate Con, but truthfully, this was just a, a weird day for me. I hadn't seen numbers like that ever. So thanks, Con. Thanks for your time, and thank you for being there for me. And thank you for telling everyone that, that it's true that I am um, extremely talented. You are. Good on you, Con. Cheers, mate. Thanks, Larry. Thanks to Inside Golf, this is Backspin with Larry Canning and Steve Anderson. Richie, welcome to Backspin. Thank you for spending the time with us. And congratulations, one of your star pupils, Hannah Green, has now made history. Yeah, it's a pretty nice morning to be alive, I guess. It's a great result for her. So did you see this coming? I mean, obviously, she's been in pretty good form winning the Vic Open. Yeah. Beating the boys on this golf course. Did you see it coming? Or I'm pretty confident in her ability. She's been playing really well. She was hitting it fantastic when she left, and that's, you know, that's why we went over there because there was not a lot more that we really need to do here and she just needed to get her confidence up and um, I think with these two events that she's played in that's happened I'm pretty confident it's going to be a good year for her Richie, Gary Barter here mate how are you? G'day Gary how are you mate? Mate congratulations on all your Thank efforts you. the last 10-15 years great to see I think you and I first spoke at Pinehurst in 2013 we did when we uh, did. you had a young Minji Lee and Oliver Goss and you had a, a cynical Aaron Price <laughs> <laughs> cynical perfect <laughs> look the best part about Price is his attitude yeah he's uh, <laughs> no 
Uh, he, so Pricey and Matt Jones and Nicky Campbell and obviously you and I were there to see them all play which yeah. is fantastic and since then you've obviously been sort of the high watermark of, of coaching in this country so it's a credit to you. With Hannah That's very nice of you to say Gary. No Thank my you. pleasure my pleasure you deserve it mate. I know full well what it's like being an elite players coach and all the stresses and it's great to uh, get the accolades but there's a lot of hard times obviously for all of us but you know hard work sort of prevails. What I want to ask you with Hannah, did you always know, like, was she always going to be a standout to you? Was she one of those phenoms that come along every 10 years that you thought, this girl's going to be amazing? No. No was the answer to that. When Minji came along, I was the state coach and I was looking after Minji anyway. Maybe Sue O and Minji were so far ahead of everyone else, we didn't actually notice what was coming up behind. And, you know, a distant third was probably Hannah. So I remember going and watching, it was a 72-hole event at Lake Karanup. I watched Sue and Minji play the last day and Sue shot 64, 9-under to beat Minji by a shot. Minji shot 7-under, 23 and 22-under, respectively. Wow. But in the background was Hannah. Now, Hannah shot 15 under. And no one noticed, you know, because she lost by eight shots. Oh, but okay. 15 under was the tournament record prior to that event. So I didn't even notice it, really. And then we sent her to the New Zealand Open. She had a pretty good event. And then she got paired with Lydia Coe in the last round. And Lydia Coe at the time was board number one. Lydia shot 69 in the last round, one by four. But Hannah shot 68, beat Lydia along those lines and came second. And at that point, you go, well, where's this kid come from? Clearly, she could play in that environment as well. Yeah, she's tough. She's tough. And and you don't know if someone's tough until you put them out there. So though she didn't have all of the shot-making attributes that Minji and Sue had, what she had is a toughness which no one actually knew about until she went out there and, you know, the cameras went on her. When she won that major, like her first event win was a major. It was amazing. And she led it from the start. Go to woe. Her toughness really just shone out. And I think that's what we're seeing. I think we're seeing a kid who's shot making is catching up to her toughness. We're seeing a kid who understands herself really well and a person who actually works really hard, but works hard in a way that she benefits, not works hard in a way that other people would benefit from. She's got the blueprint organised, I think. Larry and I were talking before about uh, yesterday's round and how it unfolded, and Larry asked me if I was watching it, and Andrew Evans who I coach, they were tied after eight holes. And I said to Larry that what was interesting for me, the dynamic of that, was that there was a point in that round where Hannah just stepped up, as in Eagle 10, Birdie 11. And like all great champions, they can sense a time to put their stamp on the tournament. You don't necessarily win a tournament on the 18th hole. You can make your mark early. And she seemed to, we can say she putted well, but putting can move beyond your ability to stroke the putt or read a green. It's the the grit that you've got. And she seems to have that killer in her. She seems to have yeah, that ability she, to sort of uh, step up. Yeah, she's tough. I mean, what your putting's a reflection as well of uh, the ball striking as well. You're not going to hole it from the 50 feet, are you? No. Every hole. So... You know, you've got to give yourself the opportunity to actually um, hold that pup. She's one tough ombre. We're talking about a female Cam Smith, aren't we? Don't you reckon? The Cam Smith is exactly that, wouldn't you say? When he needs to step it up, he does. If he's in contention to win, he usually wins. Like, I spoke to Matt Jones in Hawaii, and we talked about, you know, the current climate of everyone getting better, even the PGA Tour, like the levels lifting. And Matt was saying how when he first went out on tour, you could have a couple of weapons. You know, like he said to me, he said, like, my chipping was a weapon, my putting was a weapon, I wasn't a great driver of the ball, wasn't a great iron player. I could navigate my way through with that. But he said, you look at a Cam Smith now or a John Rahm, 
in every part of their game. There's not a weakness in their game. And, and I don't know Hannah. I've never met Hannah, but I've just observed her. And she, she looks like, to me, that she's very well equipped in every mm. part of the game. There's a distance improvement, a dramatic distance improvement with, with a game. Richie, and, and we've all seen it. We've read about it. The stats are showing that she's one of the longest hitters on the, on the US tour now, which, and she was nowhere near that. What have you done there, mate? And obviously, she felt the need, or you, or you both agreed she needed it further? When she won the major, she averaged 182 metres off the tee. My God, really? And she was 81 out of 85 players that made the cut for driving. Not only was she short, but she was also really badly wide. She Is had that a right? two-way miss. It was awful. If you have a look at the, there'll be video on YouTube of her playing at Hazeltine when she won the major, and then there'll be video of her playing at Portland five weeks later, and her left arm position would be 20 centimetres different between the two. And that's Hannah. So Hannah always, we're very conscious of her left arm relative to her chest and making sure that her body's powering her arms. And um, that left arm was awful at Hazeltine and, and proved a lot when she won Portland. And there's such variation in that arm position over the course of her career that it was really inhibiting her. So we've spent a significant amount of time on that. We've spent a significant amount of time on, on creating a little bit more wrist work because her wrist position was really poor at the top and it still remains pretty poor. That poor wrist position would inhibit her ability to create lag on the downswing. We've uh, added some length to the driver shaft. We picked up 30 metres in six weeks. That, that's in, extraordinary. Uh, we have definitely seen this with, I'm going to say Ian Baker, Finch, poor old Finchie, who won a major, decided he needed to hit the ball further, and then completely lost his game. So there's a risk going down that path, particularly after making such a change after being the, the US LPGA champion. Must have been a bit of a concern, was it? She, she obviously, she didn't think so because she was prepared to do whatever it took. We had a really honest conversation after that major win. You know, her driving was awful. I remember doing a an interview on a podcast and they asked for, like, what would I give her out of 10 for each facet of her play? Then Hannah was asked the same question. So we both gave her a three for her driving, three out of 10. So once you've both got buy-in and you both know there's a problem, then things are easy. But until you get that acknowledgement that it's poor, you know, it's hard to improve things. And, you know, we set about, we, we had the five-year exemption as soon as she won that major. So we actually sat down and said, look, we can keep it the way that it is. You'll probably be quite successful. But do you really want to be successful or do you want to be a little bit successful or do you want to be a lot? Because we now have an opportunity where we can change this stuff and we can work towards a goal knowing that you can't really lose your card. So we sat down and put a plan together and she won five weeks later. So I guess the whole thing was vindicated. I think too, Richie, yeah, coming from Larry's point of view, like Larry's obviously was a tour player, played in that era where you had a lot of art, not a lot of science. And obviously with you and me, it's not so much of a risk in the fact that the people listening at home, you'd obviously be working with 3D, biomechanist, uh, Ryan Lumsden, I presume, strength and conditioning coaches. And I suppose our, or your ability to look at creating those new swing conditions done in that environment, it wouldn't be like back in the day of someone thinking, I want to hit it further, I'll just grab a heavy club or I'll grab a speed stick or what I'll do, I'll get more weight behind the ball. There wasn't a lot of data to help them in that pursuit. Would that be fair to say? Yeah. My players have never had an issue with length. You know, Oliver Goss, Minwoo, Minji, they've all been really powerful pound for pound. And Hannah wasn't. Yep. So, and the only mm. difference between those players and Hannah had been arm position relative to chest. It was pretty simple for me to decide which way we were going to go. And, you know, we had a um, discussion with Lumsden and Ryan Lumsden at Q Golf and he agreed and we just put a good plan together, got some buy-in and then away we go. Just tell me about Ron Lumsden. I, I don't know who he is. What was his uh, role? 
Ryan Lumsden's a biomechanist. For me, he's a conduit between the golf coach and the physio. Right, right. So I, I make sure I've got an idea of what I want. The physio has an idea of if that is possible because, you know, some people can't do these things. And Ryan will give me a, CD, a 3D overview of what that will look like and how we're going to attain it. It would seem to me that almost the world's Hannah's oyster at the moment. I mean, is she the, the perfect golfing machine? Nelly, is everything in order for her to go bananas now? I mean, she's, she's talking about being top 10 in the world. Jeez, I can yeah. see that. Uh, that's that's a pretty conservative target, I would think. I'd, I'd be thinking number one. Gary, what are your thoughts? Look, at that level that they're at, it's about knowing you can win big championships. It's it's knowing that you can step on the 70th hole, stare Minji, Lexi Thompson in the eye and mm-hmm. think, I want to take you down. And as we talked about before, that grit, and now she knows she can win, and now winning multiple times, I presume that's going to be a catalyst for her to be number one. Just from me watching her, her temperament, her her ball striking ability, yeah, clearly we never know, but you'd have to back her in at the moment. Richie, you'd be thinking that too, wouldn't you? Oh, it was me and her that came up with that goal of top 10. Yeah, I think she's exceptionally capable of getting top 10. And, you know, once you get to top 10, you can get to top five really easily. Well, not easily, but you can you can make top five. When you make top five, you can make top one. So let's just go through a process. Let's get the top 10 first and then look at the other stuff. Okay. Uh, she got to 12 a couple of years ago, yep, yep. or a year, a year ago, uh, the first yeah. part of last year, and then went a little bit haywire. So, yeah, I'll be happy she can get up to the top 10. I think she can. I think she will. And then... Um, We'll look at other attributes of a game that'll get her into that top three or so. Richie, I think we're going to be talking to you a few more times after this. Thank you very much, mate, for being part of the show. Thank you for your insights into potentially an absolute, well, let, let's say a superstar now, but potentially a huge, huge talent and world number one, I'm seeing. Thanks, Richie. Thanks for your time and uh, congratulations again on the work you're doing over there in Perth. Uh, thanks very much. Thanks for your interest, guys. He's only here to help the world play better golf. So settle back and enjoy this tasty tip from Larry Canning on Backspin. Thanks to Inside Golf. Tasty tip, Gary. This is your turn. You're going to give us a tip, and it's going to be about grip pressure. Please explain, mate. Very important. Probably the most important thing. It's talked about, but it's something that has an unbelievable influence on your ability to hit the ball, and hit the ball not only consistently, but hit the ball further. And we've all heard, how tight do I hold the club? It's a very common question that I I get given to me on a, I'd say a daily basis, but it would be at least every second day. And then there's the, well, you hold the club lightly. You hold the club like you're holding a live bird. I've never held a live bird. <laughs> I, I wouldn't even know. Why <laughs> you said that? Someone I, said that I in swear, 1950-something. I know. And then, and then it's like, well, if okay, well- um, The tube of toothpaste was Oh, it? the tube of toothpaste. So when you hold the tube of toothpaste, when you take it back, you don't squeeze the toothpaste. And, and honestly, that didn't work for me either. And then it was, well, when you throw a ball, how tight do you hold the ball? And I thought, oh, well, yeah, that sort of makes some sense. But in the end, you've got to sort of grab this golf club in your hand. And it's so natural to feel control by holding the club firm. And my big tip would be that if you held the club and you did take a secure grip, and I use the word secure, so you've, you're holding the club reasonably, you know, in a, in a fashion that's not going to drop on the ground, as long as you can move your wrists around. So if you have oily wrists, so if you, you can hold the club as secure as you like, but if you sort of feel your wrists are oily, and just say you give that a rating of 5 out of 10, every, everyone's different. Someone might say to me it's a 7 out of 10. Someone might say it's a 3 out of 10. We'll never know what it is for them. But as long as those wrists feel oily, this is the killer. Most people have that feeling on the way back. But as they start down, they grab it like a rattlesnake. I haven't held one of those either, actually. <laughs> but I think if I held one, I would be, be, tight, f- I'd be really, yeah. really tight. <laughs> 
So the tip is, whatever that grip pressure is, whether it's a 5 out of 10, as you start down, it's got to stay a 5. That's the one. Because a lot of people have that ability to have it nice and relaxed on the way back. And as they start down and they're thinking out of bounds, they're thinking... They start to grab it, yeah. So, what technically what happens if you grab it at that point? Grab it too tightly. Well, once once you once you grab the club, there goes your club head speed. Right. Your body stops. No leverage. Because once you grab the club, your body sort of has to stop for the club to get back to the ball. Yeah, you lose your lag. You lose your leverage. Look, you only lose the very important things. It's not that serious. <laughs> so you're, so you're, we're talking, we're, we're talking <laughs> barely getting the club back to the ball, but yeah, we just, oh, yeah. On, on, I've, I've been at that point. You probably have too. When you, you yeah, like, like, like you're, you're actually going to stop before you hit it because you're that scared where it's going to go. Oh no, it's it, it's it's on a it's on a, like you've you've had like a stroke at impact. <laughs> it's it's so we have some great drills like the yeah you know, the teaching pros now we have some great drills to obviously articulate those feels and. That would be a really good one. Some, you, some, you, some you see in tour players. Is it, do you, is it oh, just a? It's just a punter's. Oh look, condition. I've got some great drills. Like even on my Instagram, there's some amazing drills you, you could look at and get a little sense of what players are feeling. Like yeah, you know, Matt Jones has a let go drill where he'll hit the yeah, ball. Okay. He'll he'll actually hit the ball with both hands and then he'll take the. I'm only talking about a short shot. He'll take the right hand off through impact, and that's a, that's a drill that will give him the ability to feel that that right hand's not grabbing on like it's like a rattlesnake. So. The pressure points, obviously, in a grip, from a technical point of view, are the last three fingers of the left hand and the fourth finger pretty much of the right hand. Oh, okay. They're the only ones that hold a lot of pressure. The other fingers just sit on the club to help stabilise the face. You know, you can get a little more serious, but as far as the pressures go, in transition, it's huge. Huge, not to, not to get tighter. Thanks, guys. So don't tighten up in on the way down in transition. Yeah. Transitional tightening. Well, sounds like something else I might have. <laughs> well, we, yeah, well, obviously, Most things, yeah, we don't want to go there. But No, it did get pretty tight on the way down. I must. Um, <laughs> thanks, guys. Thanks for that tasty tip. My pleasure. Gary, it's that time of the show when we talk about the spit, which is something that's given you the tray bits. The Jimmy Schmitz, since we last uh, did our show, our previous show. I'll kick it off with the uh, 16th hole at the Phoenix Open. Waste management. Terrible name for a golf tournament, but there it is. The 16th hole is called the Stadium Hole. Um, 30,000 people line the fairways. We saw mayhem recently mm. on that hole when Sam Ryder had a hole in one and there was not only raucous, alarmingly loud noise, but beer, people beer throwing, throwing beers onto mm. the green. I actually saw Patrick Cantlay hit a, it was about a 20-footer. And now this guy's, I think, tied for the lead at the time. And it's and it's tracking beautifully towards the hole. And, and he's known to make these putts when it really matters. And it hit something and jumped at least three inches in the air mm. and came up right in the jaw short so he missed the putt because of that they put it down to because you can now tap your line down and you can obviously fix pitch marks they couldn't see this because it was an indentation made by one of those bottles, bottles. or cans mm. thrown on the ground indirectly I'm going to say it cost Cantlay that golf tournament now I hate the whole concept of the hole I think the loudness the, the brashness it's going to leak into the game in general I know it's a new demographic it's encouraging people that don't play the game to come and watch golf and maybe take up the game I'm a big fan of that but that culture is going to leak into the rest of the game we've seen it in Ryder Cups we've seen it in President's mm, Cup stuff where, like that. where it starts to get ugly what's your thoughts I hate it I'm fortunate to be there quite a few times it's an amazing sort of gladiatorial feel you're looking at 30,000 people in on that one hole and put that in perspective the Sydney Football Stadium would hold 42,000 people so you've got this very raucous crowd as you said they they lick it up a lot of non-golfers 
But as far as the general concept of it, these are the years moving up till now, it's been regarded as a really exciting place mm. to hit a shot. The players like it. Do they, they though? Do they, all the yeah, players they, embrace it? Yeah, they do. They sort of appreciate they're going to get booed. If they miss the green. They get that amazing roar if they make a birdie. But I would definitely say what triggered for me was the Joel Damon, Harry Higgs taking their shirts off. I think that that's when it, it starts to get stupid. There's a fine line there between celebration and the beer throwing and the... I would be stunned if next year... We, that will continue on. Mm. I'm, there's a lot of security there. Believe it or not, before the shot, the crowd's quite, you know, quite quiet. It's that, not like that, they're yeah, yelling that out. Is, that is hard to believe. Yeah, they're not, they're not yelling out. Because if someone does start to do that, they get turfed out. What we saw this year with Sam Ryder and the, the throwing of the beer cans and beer bottles, that, that's where I agree with you. It's gone, it's gone stupid. But it's the environment. It's the culture there. The 17th hole at Sawgrass, very famous par three. The Players' Championship, it's on in a couple of weeks' time. Mm-hmm. That That is still an exciting hole. But the crowd there, whether they've been educated or they're, they're, it's, it's, it's still a, a normal feel. It's a very loud, mm-hmm. it's a very great environment. But Phoenix Open, now the Waste Management, it has, it has started to tip over the edge. I've written a column about it in Inside Golf, and I fear that it's going to... You, you can't have a hole like that. You can't have a, a, a sport where there's such an extreme difference between the, the 16th hole at Phoenix and the 12th hole at Augusta, you know, in terms of how the crowd react, how they're allowed to react. There's no other sport like that. I mean, it's it, football, cricket, it's just full-on loud from the moment that starts and in every stadium, whether you know, if it's depending on the amount of people in it. So it's just, it, it's one culture. Yeah, it's capturing a this, non This is too broad, and I can see that mm. I can see the two extremes melting together, and, and I don't see that as a good thing. Yeah, look, it's it's like twenty twenty cricket. It's for that entertainment. In the in the end, golfers are entertainers. They're you know like a singer. But that fine line, like Harry Higgs and and Joel Damon taking their shirts off, they're not rock stars. Mm. Those lines get blurred. They did come out publicly straight away and said they expect to be fine and they did a stupid thing and they went through the normal channels of apology. But that's, I think that's what you're saying is that there's, there's, it's got to the point now where they're definitely going to have to look at that, that hole and that culture because golf is still, you know, we, we, we would like to think is, is, is sort of like a, a sport that's played, you know, sort of a, a reasonably quiet setting, similar to tennis. Respectful. Yeah, you could imagine a certain tennis tournament, and they they go, well, this game's going to be the party, mm, the party game. Mm, mm, yes. And someone serves four races in a row, and they all start. It's, yeah. So yeah, I, I get it. It gave the game a lot of publicity. You could say, is it going to grow the game? It's going to get a lot of people that aren't involved in golf to look at all that at all that footage. But for the long term longevity of it, you've got to stop the throwing of of. Yeah. It'll objects. Be interesting to see what happens next year when it that that's on that yeah. same hole. That's something that can never happen again. Or are they going to let? No, that that'll be a, a that'll be a catalyst. This this time it's gone crazy. Yeah, I reckon it'll change. Thanks, Gaz, for coming in and being part of the show again. My pleasure. I loved your opinions, except for the ones I disagree with. And I think that's it was fine. That's for it, was, <laughs> it was great to catch up with Richie Smith. I thought he was. Uh, very measured, in his own way, excited that Hannah Green had won and made history. He's definitely, uh, he's got a massive uh, stable, hasn't he, in terms of talent. That's a massive stable. Yeah, I, th- I, think, I think when you talk to an elite coach of any sport, you go through so many emotional roller coasters that you, you become quite level. Yeah, okay. And you become quite considered and you realise that you're only as good as your last performance as a player. And it's it's sort of on, onward and upward. You know, I think 
you know, he was very good. I think he's very professional. And I think that, you know, clearly he's been doing this for a long time and he's got a lot of confidence and belief in mm. the way he goes about it. So, yeah, I, I enjoyed that. You'd have to be confident. When you're, when you're messing with someone's career that is a potential absolute superstar and you've done it and other coaches have done it. You're, you're dealing with um, a lot of emotion and you've, yeah. got to, you've got to bring it back to just very logical, very organised thought processes because ultimately any any decision-making on emotion is poor. So you're a psychiatrist as well, aren't you? Well, you're not, but I tell you what, I think you've sort of, you know, you spend so, many, so much time with so many different personalities, you end up figuring it all out. Mm, interesting. Thank you again, guys, for being part of the show, and uh, we'll catch you next time on Backspin. Thanks, Laurie.